Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Henderson MB Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information on our church, visit hendersonmbchurch.com. This is, they've nicknamed this one the Heritage Tree. Um, this is in Cape uh, Perpetua in, uh, in the Oregon coast. It's a spruce tree. Um, it is almost right, it, it's about 200 feet tall, which is remarkable. I mean, that's a 20-story that's a hotel building. And um, they estimate, uh, the, the plaque says that they did this in 2007. At that time, they estimated that it was 550 years old. So I've done some math. Uh, and this thing started growing in the 1400s. It was about 30 years old when Martin Luther was born. Meaning this tree is older than our entire Anabaptist movement. Like not just them bees, but just the entire Anabaptist movement. What's really fascinating about this tree, so I mean, just, I mean, it's, it's remarkable. Uh, if you go to the next slide, you, um, uh, I have no idea who that lady is. I got these off Google. Um, you can, you can see that at the base of the tree, there's, there's almost like a little tunnel. There's a little tunnel. It's about three feet tall that goes underneath it. Go to the next slide. Um, there you, you can see it again. Um, what the pictures don't show, is, though, is that you go in and there's actually almost like three um, kind of legs or, or roots that this, that this tree is, is on. And um, so it kind of makes like this, this like tripod that, it, that it's based on. And the reason that for that little cave underneath it is that because when this tree first um, started to to grow is that it was actually on something called a nurse tree so go to the next slide so what happens and we used to see these in British Columbia all the time and I thought it was the most fascinating thing I didn't realize there was kind of a, a name for it but but this is a thing in the ecosystem but so you you ha- it's called a nurse log so you have these giant trees, right? They eventually fall over. Why don't you go to the next slide? Uh, you can see another picture of it. That's another log on the bottom there. Go one more slide. Um, there you can see several huge trees and then that one on the bottom. So each of those trees will eventually have a tunnel on, underneath the, the, the root system. So nurse log, you have a giant tree. Um, it falls over. Um, it dies. But it, it creates almost like this perfect ecosystem for new trees to grow. One of the things that happens is when it falls, it opens up a spot in the canopy, so light can now come down, and kind of that that mossy bark exterior is the perfect growing environment for new tree seedlings, and it's, I mean, it's a very wet environment, and so things just grow really well, and so you have light, you've got rain, you've got moisture, and so they'll they'll start to, I think, is that the last picture? I don't think there, is there one more or no? No, all right, you can go back to the other one. Um, so those trees will, will start to grow, and the roots will wrap down around the old tree until they get into the soil, um, and then it'll, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll just becomes kind of this strong, viable uh, tree on its own until that nurse log is completely decomposed. You, you, I mean, you, you can't see the, the nurse log anymore until it's completely disappeared. And so that's what happened with that, uh, with the heritage tree. And it reminds me a lot of, of Luke twelve twenty four. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
If anyone serves me, he must follow me, for where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So this is the first weekend of Harvest Missions Festival, and the theme is honoring the past. Uh, Next weekend, it's going to be celebrating the future, uh, and then the weekend after that is kind of our our traditional Harvest Missions Festival. Uh, Jason Regeer is going to come speak. Um, There's some stuff on him in the bulletin. Gifted communicator, very excited to to have him here. Uh, You know, we're going to be doing a morning service, a meal, and then an afternoon time. The whole thing should wrap up by around 1.30. But for today, in helping us remember the past, several of you are going to come up and and share some stories. Now, with the the example of of the heritage tree and and, and the nurse log, I mean, I want to be a little bit careful not to push that too far. Like, I'm not calling anyone a dead tree. Like, you know, there's there's limitations on this, okay? Um, But it is this great reminder or this great example that we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. And, and that we, if we have any success today, that some part of that honor needs to go to those who came before us. Even this building. Okay, so there was a time where this church met out in the country. They had a vote. Let's move to town. They tore down that building in three days, brought the lumber into town, and used it to build this facility, which they completed in 1926. In many ways, that previous building was a nurse log. And this building is kind of like the heritage tree. And perhaps someday this building will become a nurse log to another building. I don't know. On Wednesday, we will lay Lucille Goose into rest. I mean, Lucille is in heaven, uh, but we need a time to, to grieve and to lay her body to rest. Work we do today stands on the shoulders of Lucille. And so it's good to remember that and honor that. And of course, ultimately, we, our hope is that all honor eventually, you know, does go to Christ in this. But it's just, it's good to hear the stories. It's good to know the stories. So today we're going to tell stories, share stories. We're going to hear stories. In my, in my parents' house, they're uh, kind of when you first walk in, as you go up the steps, they have a rail there. And there is a very inconspicuous um, a, a blanket. It's a shawl, actually. It's kind of a dark wool. There's not really much that, that you would, that, that would catch your eye about it. Um, I think there might be some initials on it. It's incredibly nondescript. But that came over on the boat from Russia. I mean, that's well over 100 years old. But, but the value is in its story. If we ever lose that story, it just becomes kind of a ratty piece of fabric and it's like why is this thing still around right next to it is this old saddle that's probably a hundred years old as well too from my mom's i don't remember if it was her great uncle or great great uncle he was a sheep herder we have a saddle we have his his shafts we have his spurs we know the spurs were homemade because the 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 wheel part the 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 rowel or or the spikes they're all uneven where, where where they've been hand carved by hand and if you look at the saddle you, there are scrape marks you can see where when he would dismount and you're tired, those spurs would kind of drag on the leather and scrape the leather up a little bit. But once again, it, its deepest value is, is in its story. If the story, I've told, we haven't done this yet, but I've told the folks, like, we're just going to follow around with a video camera for like six hours because it's like a museum in their place. Um, and so anyways, everything's got a story, let me tell you. So... 
our identity is not in our history. I mean, that, that's always a, a good thing to remember. Our identity is in Christ, and it's for that reason that, you know, when our history is rough, we can start anew with Jesus, and, and that is a great and wonderful gift. But, but knowing the history is good. Uh, I think it builds gratitude, and I think it gives direction and focus to that, that gratitude. And it helps us know the stories. I am all for the future and the horizon and the youth and the next generation and all that kind of stuff. But, there, but to know the stories, because the stories are the things that, that, that we stand on. So, with that, we're going to hear some stories. start with trees like that I'm not that old yet uh, I will reminisce a little bit about when we got married in 1950 Irma and I got married at that time I will bring up some things that uh, have been dropped and some things that have been renewed like recordings were all made in the back men's cloakroom over there Right behind the door, there was a little place, and whoever was running the tape recorder reel-to-reel would have to peek around the corner to see what was happening. And it was all recorded. Funerals were recorded, weddings recorded, and uh, I don't think business meetings were recorded because they were three weeks long, or three nights long. Another thing about ushering, we started out, uh, the, I remember the uh, first uh, ushering bags were a stick, about a four-foot stick with a, with a woven basket on the, foot, on the end of it, and he would go down the aisle as far as he could reach and pull back. Sometimes uh, the usher was a little careless, and he'd hit the lady's hat or men's hair. He'd have to jump over to the other side. And when he'd pull back on the other side, he'd be uh, elbowing somebody in the other aisle. Then we had the, uh, I think we had aluminum baskets at one time and felt baskets, aluminum. But now we have, uh, or th after that we had the, uh, the uh, wooden plates with the, foam, with the uh, felt bottom that the quarters wouldn't uh, rattle too much when they were dropped. Back to air conditioning. We didn't have air conditioning in, back in 1950. The ushers would be looking across the audience to see uh, how many wall funeral home fans there were going at the time, or maybe even Mets had some too. I don't, don't remember, but wall funeral home was prominent in church. They would watch that. The usher would pick up a, a stick that was right behind, the, between the back bench and the, uh, and the wall it was about eight to ten feet long. And on the end of that stick was a T-bar that would go in the point of that eave up there, in the point of that peak up there. They'd unlatch the window and they'd pull it down. That's where the air conditioning was created in this church. <laughs> that 
yes, this church was segregated at one time. And women would sat, sit on that side. They would enter on that side, too, in the back. The men would come in, sit on this side, and they would enter on this side or sit on this side. There was a little bit uh, going on when Reverend Platt came here. He said, we decided families should sit together. And that caused a few parents to, well, the fathers especially, they didn't want to take care of the kill children. So, so but it, it worked out all right. It's doing all right. This, that was called CE, Christian Endeavor, on stage here. But every other Sunday night, we had Christian Endeavor, which was a, a program made up of by a committee that... Uh, would about a month or a month or two months would make up programs. The chairman would, the secretary would sit here, the chairman would be somewhere up here. And uh, some interesting uh, things that were at the CE. They were numbers that I recall. D.K. Ettinger and, and Dan Thiessen. D.K. Ettinger from this church and Dan Thiessen from the Bethesda church would be asked to come up here and quote Bible verses by memory, just as long as they could keep going, forget, and then, we're, then, then they were done. Another, another one was Janice Jost. I remember Janice. She would have her easel up here, have a background, chalk talk, not chalk talk, but chalk art, and then she would draw the picture uh, as, as a number. Then also there were Sunday school classes, younger Sunday school classes that uh, were asked to come and sit up here in the choir loft and the teacher would uh, give them a, a Bible uh, scripture reading and they should find it, especially the book of the Bible. They read the books of the Bible. That's where they came in pretty handy at that time. There were about 10 rules for membership, and I will only give you two of them. I don't, have, don't remember the others. Nobody went to a theater. You don't go to a theater, movie pictures. And no swimming in public pools. Baptism was in the Blue River, the first ones that I remember, by the mill. There were two white tents set up, and I understand there's still in the, in the uh, attic up there or in the storage room. Those two white tents were set up in the, uh, by the, on the beach for the boys and the girls to change clothes, wet clothes. The water was quite dirty, you know, the Blue River. You could only see your hand about two inches or an inch and a half below the water. The rest was all mud water. It was too wet to plow. Dining rooms, <laughs> dining, the dining was all done in the basement. We didn't have a fellowship hall. All the dining was done in the basement. In the back, way at the back end of the basement, there was a kettle or two big round kettles where the plume of moose was made in and they had big flat irons to do fried potatoes. And uh, it was always fun for the children 
I know, were to walk out and grab a few cubes of sugar before you went out the door. The MCC canner was, had been here one year. They, they shoved the meat through the basement window, the truck was on that side, and they'd use the kettles for canning. I hear. That is all my presentation. give a brief history of the changes of singing and instruments that have been used in our church. I must give credit to the writings of Clarence Hebert and Lawrence Buller in my research. For part, four-part singing has always been an important part of the Mennonite heritage. Mennonite brethren came to the Henderson area in 1874 and worshiped in a church built of adobe. Members soon outgrew it, and a new church was built in 1887, east of the current cemetery. The choir, accompanied by a pump organ, at the time practiced in a German schoolhouse that was also built on the land next to the church. The pump organ, however, was not allowed in the church sanctuary. All the singing was a cappella during the worship service. Uh, would you want to bring up that old picture? Yeah. In 1926, the congregation moved to town and built this current building, which we are in today. The General Conference of the Midnight Brethren of, U of U.S. and Canada met the next year. You can imagine it was a big celebration. The choir director, who I understand was uh, Janice's father, um, George Kernelson, and uh, he piano in from, from York and uh, which you see the piano there and he rented it and it was used for this past Sunday okay anyway that's not all the story he brought it in to enhance the sound of the choir in the congregation um, at the con after the conference, the leaders of the church decided to purchase the piano. Um, you can you can uh, take that one off now. Okay, and the, the current organ and was purchased in 1970, and uh, we've had a couple other pianos since, and this one is 1980. In the early years, men spent their leisure time playing musical instruments, fiddles, guitars, trumpets, and other brass instruments. The instruments were considered a lust of the flesh and, ca and ca 
too much emotion. So they were not allowed in the church building. Weddings were held in homes where these instruments were allowed to perform as well as other festive occasions. On a more recent note, we used to have a BBS band that would practice during the BBS and then perform a, at the closing of the BBS um, program. This band was made up of attending BBSers who were playing band instruments in their various schools. Different um, singing groups. The church choir, ladies' choir, men's choir, junior men's choir, men's quartet, ladies' trio, senior choir, uh, children's choir have all been a part of the church at various times. So you can see singing has been very important. All singers. Okay, song leaders and their uh, directors at the in the past that I recollect, um, Henry Dick, who was Leroy Dick's father, John Coring, who was um, John R.'s father, um, Alvin Bowler, who was Paul Bowler's father, um, Laverne Coring, and uh, Virgil Thiessen. So you can see it's kind of a generational thing. After graduation from Tabor and several years of teaching music in the public schools, I was fortunate to follow Burge Thiessen as directing the church choir here with approximately 30 members. Highlights through the years have been the Christmas programs in the basement with a meal and a Christmas musical, uh, Easter programs, plus singing for the worship service twice a month. A special treat was when the choir was invited to join the Back to the Bible Choir in Lincoln in a celebration where Tom Petke, a well-known composer of church music, was the conductor. It takes more than the director to make music. I would like to thank the many musicians and singers who have given their talents and many hours over the years. A special thanks also to my wife, Charlene, as she accompanied me in with the choir and many other things. Um, I don't know what the other people are going to present, if they're going to talk anything about the changing of the language, because as you remember, you must remember that in the early days, everything was in uh, high German. And there, I'm not sure exactly what the years were when it changed, but um, in October of 1935, my parents got married here that was the first English service in this church.
We moved to Nebraska in May of 1965. I had just graduated from Tabor College, and Dean and I came with our four children, ages five, four, two, and a newborn. While we were still somewhat in a daze, trying to make sense of rooms filled with unpacked boxes, Miriam Quaring showed up at the end of our driveway. She offered to pick up our two oldest for Bible school the next morning. While I rummaged and managed to find clean clothes to make them somewhat presentable, and off they went. On Sunday morning, our whole family was in church, and Henderson MB has been our church home ever since. Church was serious business back in the day. We had church on Sunday morning and Sunday evening and Wednesday night, plus special services throughout the year. I asked one of my daughters, do you remember how we made you kids come to church on Sunday night? And she said, yep. <laughs> uh, and I remember how we looked forward to CE nights. You know, the pastor usually preached on Sunday night as well, but he got the night off, and there was this program that Herman talked about. I think it was very valuable because it was where our children and many of us got our experience coming up on the stage, whether it was to sing, to speak, to give a book report, whatever. Uh, it was very popular, and I think it, it also mentored and trained us uh, for other things that, that we did in life and in the church. One of my favorite memories from back in the day happened on Wednesday nights. This was probably 35 or 40 years ago. I was Wednesday night superintendent. We had classes for all the children and youth, and often we'd have as many as three classes for adults. All classroom space in the wing and the basement was used. Now, the older adults always met here in the front of the church for a Bible study, again led by the pastor, and it ended with a prayer session. The group would divide into clusters of two or three individuals, always women with women and men with men, they would kneel in front of the benches and pray just loud enough for their group to hear. When it was time for classes to wind down for the evening, I would tiptoe very quietly through the sanctuary to ring the buzzer, which was at the back of those sanctuary doors. <clears throat> As I walked through the sanctuary, I could see no one, but I could hear the soft chorus of voices in prayer. I found myself looking forward to this moment every Wednesday. It reminded me in the Bible of where it referred to offerings to the Lord as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. It was very pleasant to me, and as God received those prayers, I know he was pleased as well. Now, why were these older adults so faithful in prayer? Well, some may say it was tradition. And while that's probably true, I believe it was also a choice and a priority. They were generation keepers. They found ways to invest in those coming after them. There was an older women's Sunday school class. They met in the basement back in that corner, and they faithfully sent cards to the sick and bereaved. They also sent birthday cards to our children when they were in college. Our children were surprised and impressed that these ladies thought of them. An older gentleman faithfully shoulder-tapped our son concerning ministry and would come to the and would come to the farm and spend time with him talking about spiritual things. There was another man who was very faithful. He made it a point to greet and say hello to our children when they would come home for college or if they were visiting from their homes far away. We are grateful for those who came before us and influenced our children. And I pray in some way that I will be faithful to the generations coming after me. I love the song, Find Us Faithful by Steve Green. I'm just going to quote the chorus. 
uh, it says, Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe, and the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. This church is also a place of grace, and I will illustrate that with a story about me in the kitchen. Uh, I was much younger then, of course, and Dean and I were elected to the catering committee. Now, during that era, when they held elections, it was often a contest. People wanted the positions. But for kitchen duty, if you left your name up, chances were you were already elected. Uh, the kitchen was in the basement, and the meal was also served downstairs. It was the Sunday of our Harvest Mission Festival, and we had Hillsborough sausage on the menu. If you aren't familiar with this sausage, it's a secret recipe made by one of the grocery stores in Hillsborough, Kansas, and it is well known throughout that region and beyond. Now, I knew how to prepare this meal, and if I were making it at home, it would have been very good. And I'm sure I allowed extra time for the meat to get done. But as the afternoon progressed, it was apparent that I had not allowed enough time. The roasters were filled with sausage to the top, and at some point we realized that it would never be done in time. It was as if an alarm sounded in the kitchen, and everybody went into overdrive. Every burner and hot surface on the stove had a skillet or a pan of sausage on it. Women living close to the church took sausage home and fixed it on top of their stoves. We literally put the heat to the meat. It all arrived back at the church in time, and the meal was delicious. The amazing thing was, I never heard one word of criticism. It was a perfect opportunity to chide a younger, less experienced woman, but they chose to show grace instead. What does this church mean to me? It was expressed perfectly in a devotional in the book, New Morning Mercies. On October 20, the author writes, Corporate worship is designed to remind you of your identity in Christ so that you won't waste your time looking for identity elsewhere. God has ordained that we should gather again and again to remember again and again who we are and what we have been given. His church is a tool of grace a vehicle for remembering so that we may celebrate and grow. Good morning. I'm <clears throat> Verge Thiessen, and uh, my dad was H.H. Thiessen, commonly known in this area as Drashatisa or Rushatisa. He came from Russia and his business was running a thresh machine all summer. And uh, he was also chairman of the building committee when this church was being built. So I have a lot of memories. But my dad died in 1950. Well, I grew up in this church on October 31, 1935 is when my uh, appearance came into this world. 
And I don't know if my mom came to church quite um, pretty soon or not after that, but if she would have, this would have been my first Sunday 84 years ago. And I've been in this church all except for three years of my life and uh, been involved in a number of different different spirit, uh, different uh, uh, musical things. I've, I've been singing in the quartet since I was a junior in high school. And uh, then Henry H. Dick organized a junior men's course. And we had about 15 young guys all in high school. And we practiced every Thursday night we'd go out and give programs at different places. And that's where most of them learned to sing parts. And uh, that doesn't come overnight. So our first number of practices were, oh, 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 no, Henry said, that, no, that's not right. That's the note you need to sing. Oh, okay. And so we went on from there. And I remember one uh, program, especially in the Nazarene Church in New York. We all lined up on stage, of course, and and uh, we didn't always have the same pianist. And I don't remember who it was that night. But we gave the full program. It lasted about an hour. And uh, after church, we were walking around, and a gentleman from the church came to me, and he said, Man, you cowboys sing pretty good. What do you mean, cowboys? And then I looked, and I think almost all of us wore cowboy boots. <laughs> so anyway, I want to make a few comments about Sunday school. Uh, the first Sunday school I can recall is in the what we call the choir room in the basement. And, and Mrs. J.T. Quaring, which was a real saint, was my teacher, in this, and I was probably in the third grade. And what I remember most was every Sunday, we were handed a little card with a, some kind of a spiritual person or whatever, and the story was about that situation. And I was always so, so proud to get that to take home. I had a, I had a picture of, a, of some person. And, <clears throat> and then the next next uh, class time I recall when I think we were probably a year or two older we met in the uh, in the kitchen and I could never figure out what those big old cauldrons were for but I think Herm mentioned it that that they fixed all kind of goodies in there and uh, wasn't shortly after we moved here later in life that they were taken out Another important thing that happened in, in June of every year was Children's Day. And that was a big deal. You know, this church at that time was full of people. Balcony was full. Everything was full. And the benches came way up to here. And they went a little further to the back. Because there were over 400, 400 people attending every Sunday, Sunday evening. Wednesday night, most of them were here. So uh, it took a lot of took a lot of room, and when that 
you saw the basement, how it was converted to a little dining room. We had a really special meal on Children's Day. And so that was a lot of fun, too, for especially for us little guys. Here were all our friends. We had, we had a lot of fun playing different places. And then before the start of each Sunday school year, we had what they called a Sunday school banquet. Everyone gathered in the basement, and this was done up really good. The best, best plates and the silverware, and, and there was an MC, there was a, a speech given, there were musical numbers, and it was a great time of, of promoting Sunday school. And then that evening also were awarded prizes for those who had been in Sunday school the most faithfully. And, uh, and then you were also given the promotion for next year, who would be your teacher and who would be your, your place where you meet. And at that time, we had about 15 to 20 different Sunday school classes taking place. Okay. This was considered the mother church. There were a number of churches in Nebraska. There was a church in Sutton, a church in El Dorado, a church in Hastings, a church in Nebaimo Cook. And they all were kind of in submission to this church here. We were the, our forefathers were the, were the main people in charge. I was going to mention something here real fast. Oh, yeah, in 1950, my dad died, and I was not a Christian. I knew that. He had been taking me to different evangelistic services and uh, wanting me to uh, accept Christ. And uh, I often said, well, Dad, i got to tell my brother and I still have to confess for that because I didn't. <laughs> but he died in 1950, April 26th. And on the next week, we had evangelistic services here conducted by J.B. Taves, actually, who was part of my grand grandmother's family. Anyway, the church was full every night. And I think on Friday night, I finally came forward and at that bench right there I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And so life life really changed. I was 14 years old. And then this church, I, I should have probably did a little more research, but there were lots of missionaries that left from this church to India and other foreign foreign lands and, and many, many people as recorded in the book that John mentioned came back on their visits and reported and the church had offerings for them and I was so su surprised. Uh, one offering I think was $126 and they sent that along with the missionary. 
that was all they could raise. And, and it's been a number of times they'd have offerings, and they were never over $150. People were, people were poor. But what they had, they got together and, and did what they could. There's been 15, no, 16 pastors that I can recall from the youngest one was, I was probably about three, four years old when a family by the name of Reverend Hoagie were our pastor and they had a daughter named Joanne and it was quite often that uh, that that Pastor Hogan and his wife and Joanne would come behind this podium and serve with music. They had great voices. And Joanne was just a little gal. So they brought a stool, and she stepped up on the stool here. There were no mics. And uh, gave us a number of, of songs. And another thing that we did um, as a I don't know how many of us, but several of us as families after the after the campground got put in north of town, on Saturday evening, a family would would have uh, offered to go give a program to whoever was there. I remember our family doing it. The pastor and his family did it, and uh, we wanted to serve the community, and so we had a program. Well. That's part of the history that I can remember. There's more things, but I won't bore you. So, living hope. Tough act to follow. People that talk had a part in my the history of my journey. I can remember each one of them in certain areas doing certain things, and it's kind of fun to remember that. Must be getting older. Um, and no one stole my opening line. My earliest recollection of this church is counting ceiling tiles. Okay, <laughs> anybody else? Just so you guys, younger ones, don't have to check, it's 12 this way, 14 that way. But I had two older brothers that were doing the multiplication and fractions while I was counting, you know, so making me feel rather small. But, uh, okay, um, I'm going to go down memory lane a little bit. Some of you are going to remember these people, um, pastors we've had, because that's really my recollection is going back to the the pastors and the people that were leading and, not, and also the ones who were teaching Sunday school and many of you were part of that like I already said um, the earliest I really remember was uh, Dave Platt and uh, we'd often we'd go to church Sunday evenings and often would go over to their house which was that way then right across the street and he played a pretty mean game of him ping pong and I had a grade school crush on their daughter my age, <laughs> Beverly, if some of you remember that. So we enjoyed going over there, my brothers and I. And uh, next was Clarence Hebert, who was my uncle. And he was here for a short year. 
which I enjoyed because my cousins were here for the summer anyways. And uh, so they, he was just an interim. Or I shouldn't say just, but uh, okay, then uh, Wayne Jansen came in. I can give the years. Dave Platt was here 64 through 1972. Um, Clarence was here in 1972. Wayne Jansen was here from 1972 to 75. And that was in my younger days, in junior high and high school. So that, that made an impression because he was, he was younger also. He was just straight out of seminary. And he, I've since talked to him, and he said I was way too young for that. Um, and he took five, I think it was five of us, somewhat ornery boys to camp. I remember that, taking his car, and I, I didn't know a pastor's car could go that fast. I was, we were impressed. <laughs> this is fun. Um, so, and who would have ever thought I ended up marrying his first cousin? Jane, my wife, was, uh, was the first cousin of his, or the Oklahoma cousin, she called her. And uh, her I'm going to just take a little bit of her memory, and I'm not going to step on anybody's toes here, but they had dinner often with their grandparents, who would, and whenever there was someone in town visiting, they'd have them over, and her parents were there, and Birch mentioned J.J. Pace, J.B. Pace, excuse me, and if I recall right, he was a fairly good-sized man, had very large hands, and Wayne was there. Not wasn't there. I mean, he was here at this church at this time, and they were talking about it. And there were struggles for a young pastor, and she remembers, pretty young age, him going with his finger like this. I need to go visit that Henderson church. <laughs> and so that's her recollection. And then she met me from Henderson. Hmm, what does that mean? It's working out. So, okay, um, Ron Hebner was here for a. 1975, briefly, an interim pastor again. Um, don't, other than, I think, yeah, there was, had ties to the church, so maybe you remember him. Robert Gillette was here from 1976 to 1977. The uh, reason I remember him is my cousin Rod and I, being Loretta's son, got to take his, I think it was about a 1968 Toyota from Kansas, I was in college already to here. Didn't know a car could go that fast either, once again. <laughs> and it was kind of an old car. We were, uh, anyways. <laughs> Ron Seibel was here from 1977 to 1987. Formative years during high school, college, and uh, young married. And uh, it's interesting, you know, all of these people you run into years later and have discussions about those days. Um, boy, talk about very forgiving people of my youth. You know, I wasn't uh, always the kindest to them, probably, or the whatever trouble. But they were very forgiving and very formative in my years. Uh, so I appreciate that. Henry Berg in 1987, and that I just don't remember. He was an interim, and I, that one I couldn't remember. I guess. Then Garvey Schmidt was here, 1987 through 1996. And um, during those years, I really, I guess I would have to say, I sincerely started seeking the Lord. And so he was, once again, very formative in part of that and being there when I needed him to talk to, 
and things and, and uh, really got to know them and even we see them quite often still, Garvey and Diane. And uh, uh, during that time also, Jerry Ediger, some of you remember, was here. Did a interim youth pastor time and once again spent a lot of hours with him and he, he talked me into various things. I'm not sure how that, <laughs> I guess it was okay, but Sunday school, teaching high school, Sunday school, youth conferences and things, but he'd take me along, if you guys know Jerry, someone had to take care of him. He was a quadriplegic and he, he couldn't do a lot of things as you all know. So that involved things that you know, we're not all comfortable with. But what a, what a good time of learning to be a servant, so to speak. And uh, he also had Jason Quirin and Scott Goosen do um, interim work involved with them too and, and just amazing the work they and what they've gone on to do. Um, Stuart Peterson was here in 1996-1999. He brought a different kind of energy and enthusiasm to the church. Um, sometimes got ahead of himself, a little too, too hard and fast, but um, it, was, it was good times, it was good times of learning and no one can, uh, I mean you just see, he loved the Lord and was very enthusiastic about that. And uh, we had uh, quite a few people coming here at that time. But uh, Pastor Jay Epp, he's from 2001 to 2011, and he was a little more, uh, brought, a, brought a certain peace and easygoing uh, after some maybe too much enthusiasm at times, but did a good job of, of leading us during that time. And, oh, I guess there was a couple others in between there. here before Luke yeah and and uh, he you know helped us through some transition and every every one of you and now Luke is here Luke and, and Joanne and, and it's just amazing how they all have a, a part in your life and a part of your journey and we need to embrace that and um, they're servants of the Lord and you know it's it's a, it's a responsibility and I, I just appreciate all of them along the way um, in various various levels of my journey. And so, thank you. Last. Uh, by mowing the cemetery for the last several years, I get a lot of chances to think about the history of Henderson MB and the people who went before us. Uh, my reflection is maybe not so much personal as it is a, just a uh, reflection about the rapidly changing culture and history of Nebraska that coincided with the beginning of uh, Henderson MB in 1878. In 1870, uh, just eight years before the founding of the church, the total population of Hamilton County was 130 people. 15 years later, in 1885, the population had jumped to 13,704, just in 15 years. And the population of Beaver Precinct, where the church was and where I live now, that, that the uh, population was 830 people. That's 23 people per section. My section right now, it's four people in their 70s and 80s 
And, uh, and there's a section right next to me where there's nobody. And there's, you know, I mean, you just think about the, uh, think about that. During the same time, the, the membership of Henderson MD went from just 16 then and to 220 members just seven years later by 1885. I, I just have a hard time thinking, I, I'm just imagining the dynamism and the energy that all those people brought. It, 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 it's just kind of hard to think about that. You know, we sometimes think about change being so rapid now. That must have been a very upsetting and dynamic time. The conversions, baptisms, 250 baptisms in, t in, a, in a 10 year span, accepting new members, births, deaths, coming and going, it must have been dizzying. And um, I don't know, um, as, as the rural population continued to grow and it peaked in about 1910, the membership of Henderson MD peaked at over 300 in 1916, 10 years before this church was even built. Um, the church community provided believers stability in times of change, a place to express their thankfulness in providing uh, to a providing father and an anchor in the lean times, losses, and disappointments. The as it turns out, the abundance of people on the farms provided, proved to be unsustainable, and the dust, year, dust bowl years of changes in economics, innovation, culture have brought a steady loss of population in rural communities, including Henderson. Today we remember the past, but not to paint, it, paint the past as the good old days of Henderson MB. There are plenty plenty of things in the past for which we should or could or maybe should feel regret and uh, and exercise some confession although Helen probably has not mentioned any of those things uh, to the <laughs> today I believe that there is a vibrancy to our lives together here even though you know things of the dynamics of the community have changed. There is a vibrancy here, and I have hope for the future of this church community. There's a purpose for us here. There is a mission for a people of faith to share and celebrate the good news of Jesus. Times change, and one generation gives way to another, but God remains the anchor. Psalms 102 says of God, your years go on through all generations. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be discarded. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. The times, they are a-changing, but let us put our trust that everlasting living hope.
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for a time of remembrance, a time of hearing stories, uh, and yet a time to also celebrate the future. God, thank you for those who have gone before us and that we, we stand on their shoulders. Thank you for the wise words that have been shared this morning. And in that, I encourage us. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at hendersonmbchurch.com or email me directly at luke at hendersonmbchurch.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.